This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty, and we are rolling 3 p.m. Eastern Time across the NBA Global Network. Scott, it's a full swing in the playoffs. We're going to discuss the Denver Nuggets. Did they throw away their chances of winning the series in that game three loss? Are the Lakers just too much for the Houston Rockets? You know I've been waiting all week to get my hands on you in terms of talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and their season potentially coming to an end. But we have to start up north with the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics doing battle. Uh, It is 3-2 series lead for the Boston Celtics. And game six coming up later this week. Scott, I have to ask the question, do you think the Raptors season is over? I wouldn't put it past this team to force a game seven because we've seen all season long the Raptors when their backs are against the wall they are at their best we saw that historic comeback against the Mavs this team lost two starters in the offseason in Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green they dealt with all these injuries and they still managed to find a way to finish the season with the second best record in the east this team has you know the championship pedigree they're going to fight till the very end they could very well stretch this to seven games whether or not they can actually win the series I Look, I I picked the Raptors in six because I thought that the Celtics were going to miss Gordon Hayward a lot more in this series than any other series. But this Celtics team, even without him, is just such a tough matchup for them. Um, Like, you you look, the Raptors in the regular season averaged 18.8 fast break points per game. That led the league. In this series, the Celtics have limited them to 12.2 fast break points per game. So they are slowing the game down and forcing the Raptors to play in the half court where they were about a league average in terms of efficiency this season. And they just have so many bodies that they can throw against Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, um, Pascal Siakam, who I'm sure we will talk about. And so that's why I think, you know, the Raptors could very well stretch, stretch this to Game 7. We, we've seen them pick up two games already in this series. But I, I do kind of have, at this stage, based on everything we've seen, I have kind of a hard time seeing them actually beating the Celtics. Yeah, we we could we've talked all all season long about how good the Raptors have been defensively. They actually haven't been bad in this series series considering all the circumstances. They just their offense just hasn't been able to crack the code that is the Boston Celtics. They're only averaging 97.2 points per game in this series. That's the only they're the only team to average under 100 points in this second round. They're shooting 40% from the field, 31% from three-point range. That's just not going to get it done. And it's a huge drop off from the production that they had against the Brooklyn Nets. And the one that really sticks out to me, everyone's talking about how they, they, they haven't been able to score enough. Uh, you know, they, they haven't been able to, to sort of uh, knock down the three point shot, which we know is a huge part of their offense. They're getting to the line close to 20 times per game, and they're shooting under 80% from the foul line. That's just not going to get it done. That's not winning basketball. And. Every possession in this series has mattered. Every bucket has mattered. If you're not even going to get to 100 points, every bucket really does and truly matter. Uh, and, and the Raptors just don't seem to have it uh, on the offensive end consistently enough to make me think that they could pull the series out. Now, saying all that, it's still just 3-2. They, they can really flip 
a switch here and and if they start to find their stroke again from long range if they start to knock down some threes and and, and start hitting their foul shots we could be talking about a potential game seven I mean look we were 0.5 seconds away from the Celtics being up 3-0 and the season being done for the Raptors um, they won two in a row off of that OG Ananobi game winner tied the series up they lost terribly in game five but yeah I mean this team could totally bounce back in game six get hot from three make their free throws all those kind of things um i i don't know i i still think i I think we mentioned this last week like this is the series where they miss Kawhi, right it's it's incredible what the raptors have been able to do all season long without Kawhi leonard who's arguably the best player in the entire league they've been one of the best defensive teams without him they haven't been great offensively but they've been able to make it work with one of the deepest teams in the league working guys in and out of the lineup but it's really like this kind of series against a team that can slow them down, force them to play more in the half court, where they miss arguably the best half court scorer in the league, a guy who can get his get a shot off against literally anyone. Um, and, you know, we, we had questions going into the playoffs whether or not Siakam was at that stage where he could be that player. I know we had our doubts, but I think it's become pretty clear that he's not that player, which is fine, by the way, because this is his first season being like a go-to scorer. Whether or not we think he can get to that point is a conversation for a different day. Um, but it, it is quite clear that he's not capable of being that player now, which is what the Raptors need. Yeah, they definitely need that. They also need uh, to find a way to score a little bit more in the paint. Boston, who uh, came into the series um, with uh, you know the advantage going the other way when you're talking about size. The Raptors have a front court that features could feature Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka. Could feature, you know, OG Ananobi, who, who's improved in terms of his handle getting to the basket, and Pascal Siakam, who's a pretty good scorer when in and around the rim. They're still averaging just 37.6 points per game in the paint. And that's just not going to get it done if you're the Toronto Raptors. If you're not hitting threes, you're not scoring in the paint, you can't get any buckets in the mid range. It's been a recipe for a disaster for the Raptors. But again, they're only down by one game in this series. It is 3 2. Uh, game six later on this week. Do you have a prediction? Uh, is, it, is it Boston closing it out in six? You, you love putting me on the spot with predictions, don't I do. you? You love do. it. That's what we do. Um, you know what? I, again, I'm going uh, to be stubborn. I said Raptors in six to win this series. I still think the, the Celtics are going to come out, but I'll say I think Celtics in seven at this point. So I'm going to split the difference there. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the Celtics do close it out in the sixth and final game for the Raptors. And as you said, what an incredible, incredible uh, you know title defense this has been for the only team in NBA history to lose the finals MVP uh, after winning a championship is insane. And and what they've been able to do with the injuries that they've been able to face, the, 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 the 2020, the year 2020, what it is, going to the bubble and, and all that, uh, and, and to come you know, maybe a couple of games shy of making the third round is incredible if that's the way things end. Um, but I am going with Celtics in six. I, I just think that they have too much for, for the Raptors here. Um, if you haven't already, Head on over wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Sound System FC. This week, we have previews of the Premier League, new regular season coming up soon. My Arsenal uh, Gunners, they're going to be primed and ready to bounce back after last year's horrible showing. By the way, man, speaking of horrible, Manchester United just released their new third kits. I mean, they, they could not be uglier. Hopefully, Lawrence and Bo uh, give their thoughts on that. And uh, Liga MX, midseason or midweek, rather, review. All that and more, Lawrence and Bo, have you covered 
over on Sound System FC. Sound System FC, if you have not subscribed yet, head on over wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now, rate, and review. Scott, you've been dodging it for a little while now. I've been, um, I've been dreading this. I've been dreading been this dodging that's it. coming up right here. <laughs> you've been dodging it for a little while now. Look, I'll let you take your victory lap. You, you go ahead for a second. Oh, the victory lap is going to be doubled. Um, <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks are down 3-1. Now, I will admit that I did not see them being down 3-1 in the series and coming an overtime away from being swept out of the playoffs. I will admit I did not see this type of domination from the Heat in this series. But... Everything that I said would come true has come true just a lot quicker than I expected. Uh, Giannis Atsakumpo has come back down to earth in the playoffs. Uh, the same way that the Raptors were able to neutralize him, uh, the Heat have done so, and it, it just hasn't worked out. We still, we're still looking for Eric Bledsoe. Has no, nowhere to, has he been impactful in the series. Uh, Brooke Lopez, you mentioned it on the last pod. He's been shooting horrible from three-point range. That's carried over to the bubble. And they're not getting any contribution from the bench that everyone raved about, that Giannis, whenever he stepped off the floor, they were a, a, a decent enough team, and that gave them the, the good feels that this, this Milwaukee team has found, you know, figure things out. And then last but not least, Bud has yet to make an adjustment, and they are now done 3-1 and uh, might have their bags packed before it's all said and done. Um, go ahead. You can tell me I'm right. And and, and 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 pat me on the back here because I I might get Tom, have to get Tommy John surgery after this after patting myself on the back. Look, I, I'm going to start off by telling you that you did something wrong. First of all, I, I we can agree on everything that you just said, but saying Brook Lopez's bad shooting this season is carried over into the play, into the playoffs is just not true. Dude shooting 42 percent from three. He's actually been one of the guys on the box who has actually played well um, consistently throughout these playoffs. So don't do my guy Brook like that. All right. Other than that, you're pretty up there. Yeah, okay. Other than that, you're pretty much on point. I, I, I can't argue with you. It's It's been a... I think the, the biggest thing that has stood out to me um, and what I didn't really take into account as much as I should have going into this series is that this is almost just like a completely new season. Like, you look at this Heat team, it still blows my mind that Kendrick Nunn started in basically every single game for them and Goran Dragic came off the bench. And now Dragic is looking like he's an all-star again. And that just completely... That alone just completely changes the dynamic of this team. And then on the flip side, you look at the Bucks, who didn't look that great in the seeding games. They didn't look that great, even though I defended them. They didn't look that great against the Magic. Um, and then sure enough, I do think, I mean, I, I do think the Heat were probably the one team that they didn't want to see in the Eastern Conference. Um, I, I do sort of wonder if they saw the Celtics or the Raptors in the second round. Even give, given everything I said, I do, I do think the Bucks probably would have come out of that series. Um, but the, I, I do think the Heat were probably the worst matchup for them. And I give you credit. You called this. I'll, I'll give you that one. It's funny because I, I, you know, I've been listening to the coverage the last week, um, and with every loss, it, you know, the blame is sort of uh, getting pointed everywhere, uh, but on the reigning and potential two-time MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo. By the time you're listening to this, if you're listening to it in podcast land, he may have already won uh, his second MVP trophy, and deservingly so. I mean, he had an incredible regular season. He was great, but. In you know they're down 3-0, and I see Bud getting blamed. Uh, I see the, the 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 bench getting blamed. I see everyone but Giannis sort of taking the blame. And honestly, I don't know what else. And 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 Bud is even you know people have even called for Bud's job. I don't know what else Bud can do. And this is me defending him in the sense that I he he has done everything he can considering the circumstances uh, and, and gotten this team to a really good spot where they are now title contenders 
He shows up. He, he shows up in Milwaukee, creates a system that unlocks Giannis like we've never seen before, and you know made him uh, or helped him get to an MVP level probably a little bit quicker than most expected him to. They had the best record in the regular season two years in a row. Again, people expected them to come out of the Eastern Conference based off of the domination that they had in the regular season and also for the fact that Kawhi Leonard is now in the other conference. Uh, the, the one player that really seemed like ha- had his number a season ago is no longer playing in his conference. It, it felt like the red carpet was rolled out for the Bucks and Giannis. And you know they get in the playoffs, they run into this Heat team, they're down 3-0 and I see People complaining about the minutes that Giannis has played, uh, the the lack of adjustments that Bud has made. I don't know what you expect Bud to do. I don't think that playing Giannis would have would have, more minutes would have had a different result. I think they still would be losing the series. I I don't know what sort of adjustments you wanted him to make when uh, you know they've been so successful with this system that it's tough to make an adjustment for one specific team to, that really goes against everything that you've you know been successful doing to this point of the, of the season it's tough and that's what i said before the season started before the series started rather is that the two things that make them great giving up three pointers to 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 the correct people and also the way that they play is going to be ultimately what fails them and that's what happened against Miami Heat they've been giving up three pointers to the guys that you know you would give it up to Jay Crowder and he's knocking them down uh, and also the way that they play is 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 leading right into the heat and, and it's becoming uh you know defendable for for Miami and and they know what's coming uh and and no one else has been able to step up but I just don't know that you can put all the blame on on, on coach Bud because uh, I see a lot of it going around I think you have to put some of the blame on Giannis and I think for this Milwaukee Bucks team to take the next step, it's going to be on Giannis. It's not going to be on Bud. Uh, he is now going to leave the playoffs two years in a row, basically running up against the same problem that he ran up against. So the, the Raptors defended him the pretty much the exact same way, and people gave a lot of credit to Kawhi Leonard. Same credit is going to go to Bayam Adebayo and, and, and the Jay Crowders of the world, but it's essentially the same defense that is stopping Giannis and, and sort of slowing him down. And the numbers are not going to say that. But he's going to put up great numbers regardless because of the player that he is. But the impact that his numbers have on the game have a different feel to it. He's not getting out on the open floor. He's not getting as many paint points as he wants, as he, as he does before. And when you put him at the line, it's not like he's a knockdown foul shooter. So it's on Giannis to develop uh, another level to his game. And that, to me, is what will unlock the Milwaukee Bucks to push them through to the next step, and that's getting to the finals, and that's getting to a championship. Look, I agree with you that Bud doesn't deserve all the blame, but I also think he do- deserves some blame because, look, we saw what happened with the Raptors. With their backs against the wall, a must-win game, Nick Nurse is riding with his best players for basically the, the, the entire second half, and I think Kyle Lowry played like 46 minutes out of 48 minutes in that game. And I think that's almost kind of what they needed to do in that game three. I, I know that like Chris Milton's dealt with foul trouble. Giannis has as well. Brooke Lopez has as well. But at some point, you need to play your best players 35, 40 minutes. Because even if the, after that game three loss, I think Bud said to the media that like the 35-minute threshold was as high as they were going to go for Chris Milton and Giannis. Um, so unless there's another reason why they're doing that, and I haven't read anything, I, I kind of I I think that's indefensible. Like in a must-win situation, you need to ride with your best players. Um, and other than that, I, I just think some of the rotational decisions that he's made have been very questionable in this series. 
But like you, like we can't, it, he doesn't deserve all the blame. And I think it's totally fair. Giannis is an f- absolutely fantastic player. He's going to win his second MVP this season before the age of 26. He's one of, I want to say, like five or six guys in NBA history to win an MVP and a Defensive Player of the Year award. We are talking about like an all-time great here. And you're right in saying that he's basically faced the same kind of defense or at least the same defensive principles two years in a row. And he hasn't really had an answer for it. Um, and I think, it, you know, the free throws are worrying. He's developed as a passer. He's still not a guy who's going to pick teams apart as a passer. Um, and obviously that jump shot is going to be huge for him and how that develops. And he showed a much more willingness this season to shoot from three, especially off the dribble. But even then, like the efficiency wasn't great. And we've just seen him not be able to hit those shots in this series. And it's allowed them to match up Jay Crowder with him, who really, when we put, you know, apples to apples, Jay Crowder should have no business being able to guard Giannis. Giannis should be too big, too strong, all of that. But Jay Crowder is able to back off of him a few feet. He's strong. He's strong enough to kind of keep Giannis in front of him and funnel him into the paint um, or to help defenders around the paint like a Jimmy Butler, like a Bam Adebayo. And it's just made it impossible for him to, to get in a rhythm going to the basket where he's at his best. Um, so, so I'm look, I'm, I'm with you. I do, but I do think Bud deserves probably more criticism than you're saying he deserves. Um, but I think you're fair in saying the stuff that you have about Giannis. Here's, here's the thing for me. Yes, Bud should play his stars and ride them all the way till the wheels fall off. No question about it. There's, there is no, I'm not saying, I'm not about to say that, you know, having Giannis uh, on the bench versus having more minutes for Pat Connington is the answer. That is completely not what I'm about to say. But there is going to be some truth to the fact that, and, and the numbers prove it, that this Milwaukee offense has played better in this series. I'm not saying overall, but in this series when Giannis has sat down. They're averaging 119.2 points per 100 possessions when Giannis is sitting. When he's on the floor, that number is just 100.4. It's, it's, it's almost a 20-point difference when Giannis sits versus when he's on the floor. And and that, it to me, is a lot of things. One, when Giannis is on the floor. You can see it and feel it. And there's not going to be a stat that tells you this, but you can see it and feel it that this Milwaukee Bucks team realizes, okay, Giannis is on the floor. We have to get him going. And they sort of try to force feed him or put him in positions to be successful. And that is playing right into the Miami Heat defensive plan. And he hasn't been able to do, uh, you know, he hasn't been able to overpower them the way that he's overpowered teams in the regular season. In the regular season, it's completely different. One week, one May day, you're in Sacramento. The next day, you're in Denver. The next day, you're in Dallas. And you're rolling through. It's easy to, to roll through those cities and, and not see the exact same game plan or, or roll with your exact same offensive game plan, which is get out and run, uh, you know, force your way into the paint and, and dunk the ball. That's why teams like the Bucks, teams like the Raptors, uh, were, were, are, you know, they have seen their fast break points drop all the way off. And there's nothing really for Bud to do in terms of game planning to, to kind of stop that. This season, uh, you know, in the half court, Giannis when he's on the floor, is in the 69th percentile as a player in terms of points per play in the half court. When you look at some of the best players in the NBA, you're talking about the Kawhi Leonard's, the the LeBron James, when he's healthy, the Kevin Durant's, that's not where they are in terms of you know getting buckets in the half court. Kawhi's in the 90th percentile in terms of points per play in the half court. LeBron James, 86th percentile in terms of points per play in the half court. When Kevin Durant was last healthy, he was in the 100th percentile in terms of getting points in the half court. 
Granted, the Kevin Durant thing is a little bit skewed because he was playing with one of the best teams offensively we've ever seen in terms of the Golden State Warriors. But he's still a guy that is often in the 90th percentile in terms of getting points in the half court because we saw that in OKC. That's where he was. Giannis has not done that throughout his career. The way to stop Giannis is to slow him down and put him in a situation to beat you in the half court. It's not just the the, the defensive schemes. It's, it's slowing him down a little bit. And, and the Magic had some success doing that, as you mentioned. They just didn't have enough horses or enough scoring to beat them on the other end to make the series interesting. The Miami Heat do. And once you get past that first round, every year is always going to be the same story unless Giannis figures out how to make you know score different ways and also create for others to get them a little bit more involved and i don't know if that has anything to do with bud bud's doing the best he can he's unlocked another potential to Giannis, but now it's up to Giannis to put the work in on the other end and to make sure that this doesn't happen to him again in this meeting seeing the exact same defense that eliminates him from the playoffs so here's the thing after that game four i saw a lot of talk on twitter especially about people basically talking how wrong we are when we talk about Giannis positionally. Like you just compared him to LeBron, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, who, yeah, those are the guys he's being compared to because they're the best players in the league. I, But I don't know if, like maybe, maybe Giannis just isn't a wing. Maybe he's not a guy who needs the ball in his hands at the end of a game and he's breaking guys down from the three-point line. And we kind of need to view him more through the lens of him being a big, a guy like Shaq, even though he's not nearly the same size as he is. And, and kind of frame the bucks around him in that sense. Because it almost feels like they're kind of doing a bit of both, right? Like he he's not mm-hmm. their center, but he's also not their wing. And he's kind of towing this line between those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with it as well. Because like, you know, like the, the way that the lake is built around Shaq, it was Kobe was kind of the closer on that team, especially by, you know, that the end of that run for them. Um, and, and Chris Milton's awesome. He's proven that he can step up in big moments and things like that. But I just wonder if you need almost someone the next level up from Chris Middleton next to Chris Paul. Uh, sorry, like a Chris Paul or something next to Giannis who can, uh, you know, even unlock him further as a as a big in a way that we haven't really seen with the Bucks yet. Yeah, but the thing, the Shaq comparison is a good one. And maybe we, you're right. Maybe we are comparing him to the wrong set of, you know, people. Maybe he's not a wing. He is he's a big. But when you have that, that that the closing thing is a different story we haven't even seen chris milton milton even be in a position really to help close in this series because Giannis normally has the ball out on the wing so maybe I mean, that's the adjustment four. he didn't get full, and, but Giannis didn't and play it, Giannis didn't play and and also they were successful when he had the ball in the closing situation that's the only game they've won so far so we know he can get it done uh so maybe that's the adjustment that that the bud has to make is you know get the ball out of Giannis's hands but if you're going to have Giannis on the floor it, it hurts a little bit that you don't have your best player handling the rock and um you know while Shaq you can argue that Shaq was you know the most dominant player and they allowed Kobe to close Shaq still touched the ball a lot in those in those final couple of minutes in in those late game stretches um and even even with the nervousness that you had with him at the free throw line he still touched the ball a lot because he drew so much attention and I don't know that Giannis maybe the answer is putting him in the post more but he's not skilled enough at that at this point in his career yet to be a, a dominant post scorer consistently in the postseason and I think when you, you know, if you were to throw him down low in the post right now, uh, it, that that just might take away what he's great at, which is 
carving up defenses uh, with you know the, the full steam ahead sort of head down drive to the basket style of basketball that he likes to play. So, like I said again, it all comes down to how Giannis is able to develop to be successful in the half court. He's great in the open floor. He's great defensively. Talking about the defensive player of the year here, and he's become a better passer. I'm not worried about that, but I'm worried about. When the game slows down in the postseason and he has to make those decisions and, and sort of problem solve in the half court, he hasn't shown that he's able to do it consistently enough to make the Milwaukee Bucks the best offensive threat that they can be. And it seems when he's off the floor, the rest of the team feels like a weight is lifted off their shoulders and they can play freely. And that's why the numbers say what they'd say. And that's why we saw them be able to finally pull out a victory in a series that looked like they were about to get swept in. That's all I'm saying here. Oh, so two things. First of all, uh, just some numbers behind it. Giannis, according to NBA.com or Synergy, he scored about 11.7% of his points in the post this season, averaged 0.92 points per post-up possession, which ranked him in the 52nd percentile. So basically, he is league average when Awful. it comes to scoring in the post. Um, and the thing is, like, I, I do think we saw a little bit of development from him this season in that regard. Like, He did show off a little bit of a fadeaway jump shot when he got into the paint mm-hmm. and in the post. And I think that shot's going to be huge for him moving forward because, you know, I just compared him to Shaq, but he's not the same bruiser in the post. And I don't think he ever will be because he's much more, he's much faster. He's much more athletic and all that than Shaq ever was. So he needs also, to have the game's that. not played like that anymore. Right. Like, right. Right. No one, no one plays like that. Very few posts up players in the NBA now. Right. But Giannis isn't the guy, like he's not Joel Embiid, for example, who's just going to bulldoze you into the post hit you a couple times and then rise up for like a hook shot. Giannis isn't, I don't think Giannis is going to be that kind of player. So he's going to need that little turnaround jumper. Um, and I think that's going to be huge for him moving forward. Secondly, about about the Bucks and their offense, it is pretty clear. And it is the same thing with the Raptors last season, that the Heat have devised an entire defensive scheme around stopping Giannis. You agree with that, right? Like every single Absolutely. thing that they do, every single player, the way that they move, how they match up with them, how they get back in transition, they are building a wall. It is incredible when you see some of the times that Giannis just brings up the court, the, the ball up the court and he gets to the three-point line. If you just pause it, you can really see like two guys funneling him down the middle of the court right into like Bam Adebayo, for example, and then at least one other guy helping off to prevent him from being able to get into the paint. And I think right. that has something to do with it too in that the Heat have devised this entire scheme around stopping Giannis, and it has worked for the most part. They have basically, like you were saying, the, the Bucks have basically been at their worst when Giannis is on the court, and that's a huge win for the Heat. And I think when he steps off the court, the Heat just don't have the same, I don't know if it's discipline or they're just not as locked in and everything like that. And it's allowed Chris Middleton to kind of free up. Um, and obviously Game 5 will be a huge test for that because Game 4, I know Jimmy Butler said afterwards that they kind of took their foot off the gas. Um, but but Game 5 could be a big test for that to see if the Heat can actually you know figure out a way to stop the Bucks without Giannis or if that was very much like that they kind of just take their foot off the gas when he's not on the court. Yeah, but it, that you're right about that. And the reason why I think the Heat have – they haven't struggled in defending the, the, the Bucks without Giannis, but it's a little bit less predictable. And that leads to more success offensively if you're not as predictable. And when Giannis is on the floor, you know what's coming when he has the ball in his hand. Uh, if he sees a seam, he's going to attack it. And his last resort, his first option is attack. His second option is attack. And his last resort seems to be to look for the open uh, you know, the open player or pull up for three, which is exactly what the Heat want you to do. So 
Um, it, it's just more predictable when he's on the floor and it, the offense feels that way. When he's off of it, it allows them to be free and, and, and kind of flowing offensively. Like you said, we'll figure out uh, exactly if, uh, if that's true in game five. That's coming up uh, later this week. All right, let's move on. Um, the Lakers and the Rockets uh, in a battle in their series. Game three coming up um, for them. Tied at one. The Rockets played well in game two, but one player in particular, particular rather, uh, did not play well at all, that being Russell Westbrook. Um, in my opinion, the Houston Rockets will only beat or challenge the Lakers in this series if Russell Westbrook finds a way to be effective. And if he's going to bring the performance that he had in game two, this series will be over in five games. What do you say? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. The, there's a reason why, look, the Rockets moved on from Chris Paul and traded for Russell Westbrook because that's what James Harden wanted, right? By all accounts, that's what happened. Um, and when you have a team that's built around two former MVPs, two superstars, you're only going to go as far as you can take them. And James Harden was great in that game too, but it got to a point where, like we saw in the first half of the season, James Harden is playing so well that teams are basically like, all right, we're going to throw two defenders at you and stop you from being able to do anything. And we're going to live with Russell Westbrook taking as many threes as he wants. Um, the interesting thing about the Rockets is in the second half of the season, um, and especially after they traded Clint Capella, Russell Westbrook completely changed his game to the point where he basically eliminated threes from his arsenal. Like he, he just didn't shoot those shots. When he was wide open, he was just taking it to the basket instead or pulling up for the little mid-range pull-ups that he likes. Um, and while his efficiency has been up and down on those shots throughout his career, when he's making them, he's basically unstoppable because he's he was being guarded by centers like Rudy Gobert. Um, and even Anthony Davis was, was defending him a lot in that first game after the trade deadline when they moved on from Clint Capella. And he played right. really, really well. And the concerning sign over the first two games is Russell Westbrook has taken 12 threes and he's only made two of those. And we saw it in that fourth quarter. There was that one possession. I can't remember how long was left in the game, but it was a big possession. And the Lakers doubled Harden. Harden swung the ball over to, to Westbrook on the wing. And it was on LeBron James, who was in the, in the corner, to come over and help, to rotate, to take that shot away. And he didn't move because he was just like, Russell Westbrook, you can take that shot. I'm going to stay over here. He was guarding someone like P.J. Tucker or Eric Gordon or something like that. Um, and Westbrook missed a shot. And then that turns into a transition opportunity or whatever it was for the Lakers. Um, so that's going to be huge for, for the Rockets moving forward. You know, can, can Russell Westbrook figure out a way to be effective um, when the Lakers do that to James Harden? And can he not be so reliant on threes? Because we've seen this story before. If Russell Westbrook is going to jack up threes, it's not going to end well for his team. It, just like I just spoke about Giannis having struggles in the half court, the same actually falls on Russell Westbrook. Um, and James Harden kind of gets away a little bit from this criticism as well. You mentioned that he played well in game two, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the Lakers decided, all right, that's that's not happening anymore. We're going to start, you know, catering our defense to stopping you. And a lot of teams have done that in the history of James Harden going through the playoffs. That's why he hasn't been able to kind of break through that most expect him the way that most expect him to do in the postseason this year um the houston rockets in the half court with james harden on the floor james harden is ranking in the 58th percentile in terms of points per play russell westbrook 17th percentile in the half court that is ugly let me let me just tell you that isaiah hartenstein 
right now is in the 60th percentile. <laughs> stop. In, stop. In why, why did you bring this small, small sample size, but I got to shout out my guy Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, but that that is that tells you right there that the Rockets struggle to score when the game slows down. And they ran out to a big lead and, and kind of got going, and, and that's going to happen with this team. They even, uh, you know, uh, they're in, in, the, in the coach interview, um, you know, Frank Vogel said, basically that that the rockets gonna get hot from three and they're gonna have to withstand you know they're gonna go up and down they're gonna get hot one time and then they're gonna start missing shots a lot of the time so um that happened in game two and the lakers stuck to their game plan stuck to their guns and eventually were able to pull that out when the rockets cooled off a bit for james harden to be in the 58th percentile in points in the half court knowing how many threes that the rockets like to shoot is insane to me um that number should be a lot better and that, to me, is the difference in this series. And then Russell Westbrook, I mean, we, we, everything that people say about him is, is turning out to be true. Um, I've been a long-time Russell Westbrook defender, but he's now playing with uh, you know a very talented player in James Harden, and, and he needs to figure out a way how to be effective without being baited into taking uh, shots that really aren't in his game anymore. Um, when he was at his best, as you said, he, he was getting to the rack and, and, and finishing inside. If he can't do that in this series, it, it's going to be a quick one. The weird thing about the Rockets is that they take a ton of threes. But, I, like, how many guys on that team really scare you as three-point shooters? Not a ton. Because Eric, Eric Gordon is not shooting well from, from the three in these playoffs. He gets up a ton. Russell Westbrook have already gone over. P.J. Tucker is one of the... If he's not the best corner three-point shooter in the league right now, he he is the best. He was, yeah. Uh, um, and then you have Robert Covington, who, who's been lights out from three in the playoffs. Um, but James Harden isn't a guy who's going to spot up. We've seen this time and time again. When he when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he kind of floats to the three uh, to the half-court line and takes him out of the possession. Um, so really, it's Robert Covington and then P.J. Tucker you have to worry about in the corner. And that, that, that's one of the interesting things about this team is that they, they take a ton of threes, but they're kind of missing like dead-eye shooters. Do you know what I mean, if mm-hmm. that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and that's the problem. I mean, look, this team traded Clint Capella because they couldn't afford to have two non-three-point shooters on the court in Russell Westbrook um, and Clint Capella. Um, and, you know, if Russ can't find a way to get going, um, that's a huge concern because they, they really did make that trade to open up the floor for him to attack and be at his best. And look, some of that could be the quad injury that he was dealing with because he missed, what, the first four games of the playoffs with that? Um, And for a guy who who plays, you know, with the the athleticism, with the strength, with the speed that he does, you'd think that that's a pretty significant injury. On the flip side, this isn't the first time that Russell Westbrook has uh, come up short in the playoffs over the last few years. So um, I can see both sides, but I kind of haven't given Westbrook the same pass that you have over the years. So um, I I can't say that I'm too surprised by, by the way that he's playing right now. Yeah, Westbrook has to figure it out, but definitely Harden has to figure it out. It's uh. It's time where, you know, the Lakers couldn't be more thin at the guard position. And, you know, Avery Bradley's sitting at not sitting out the bubble. And uh, he, he's being sort of guarded by the Rondos of the world and the uh, Danny Greens of the world. He should be able to take advantages uh, of those matchups. And those guys are good defenders. But James Harden, we're, we're talking about uh, one of the all-time great ISO scorers the league has ever seen. There's no way that he should be able to be, be guarded by uh, Danny Green, who's in twilight of his uh, athletic ability, and also, you know, Rondo. Um, Harden should be hey. able to take care of those. Hey, it's hard to isolate against someone when you got two defenders on you. That's all I'll say. It is, but 
hey, you got to figure it out. If, if Kawhi could figure it out, if LeBron could figure it out, the greats figure it out. If that's your, if that's your argument, if that's your excuse, uh, then we can't put him in the same class as some of the greats in this league. Well, look, right. I, I think um, one last thing on Harden. I, I think part of the problem is with Harden, and I, I know I think Kevin O'Connor wrote about this last week, and I thought he made some really good points, is that there's almost something a little too predictable about James Harden, especially when it comes to the playoffs, because you basically know mm-hmm. that he's, one, he's looking for that step back three. If that's not available, he's blowing by his man and getting to the basket. Those are basically the two things that he's looking for. He's eliminated the mid-range from his game entirely. And not that you want Harden to suddenly become Kawhi Leonard, who's probably the best mid-range scorer in the league right now. I do think he'd probably benefit from just mixing it up a little bit and having that in his arsenal. Um, Because there are situations in every single game where you kind of see him pass up an open shot or what could have been an open shot from that distance um, and kind of settling for something a little bit more difficult. And maybe this is one of those series where that would come in handy because it would, it would keep the, the defense off balance a little bit more than they are. Some might say that would be the case for the entire Rocket squad, but that's another conversation for another time. Uh, before we wrap up here, we got to get into the Denver Clippers series. Game three uh, was interesting. The Clippers gave away game two. Um, the, the Nuggets absolutely smacked them. They got into the series. They got some confidence and looked as though they carried that confidence over into game three. They played well. Then leading into half, they sort of gave away momentum, got it back. And I was, I was sitting there looking at that game saying, you know what? We may have a series here. And then the Clippers flipped that switch that everybody has been fearing that they would flip and walk away with a game three victory. My question to you, Scott, is uh, did, did, did Denver throw away the series in that game three? Didn't we kind of just go through this with the Mavericks, though? And that, you know, Luka Doncic hits that step-back game winner, and suddenly we think the series is on, and then it's, before we know it, three or four days later, it's, 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 it's over. It's done. I almost feel that way with this Denver team. It's like they, they could have gone up 2-1, but I still don't know how seriously I would have taken them as a threat to the Clippers. Am I, am I not giving them enough credit there, or...? I think so. I think you're, I think you're not giving them enough credit. Because, the, 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 yes, the Mavericks... Uh, you know, had gone up in that series, and it was it was all you know, Luca magic and Luca mania for that time period. But keep in mind, Kristaps Porzingis wasn't in that game. It came on a buzzer beating three that you know, a miracle shot basically that he had to defeat the Clippers on. Like Denver was smacking them around, and they they beat him in game two solidly, solidly, and then were smacking them around in game three. And every time the Clippers responded, Denver would respond back with another punch until they didn't respond in the final KO blow. But had they won game three, I would have looked at the series a little bit differently. I don't know that I would have picked the Clippers to lose that series, but um, it, it, it definitely would have been an interesting proposition where maybe we go six or seven. Now I think this ends in five. What did you pick originally? I, I think I had the Clippers in six, so I kind of just saw that this working out a way for the Nuggets to win two games in the series anyway. I thought the, I thought the Clippers would win in five because I, I thought the, the Nuggets just emptied the gas tank in the last series. Had they... Had they won or defeated the Jazz, uh, you know, earlier and, and not have to play, or even have a break in between the series, um, you saw Jamal Murray's face after you know Scott Van Belt on ESPN told him that uh, they were playing <laughs> the ne- the very next day. He couldn't believe it. Uh, he didn't have anything left, um, and and I thought the Clippers would have been well rest- rested. They finally are healthy, and they finally have all their bodies that they you know plan on having for the season. Like Trez is there. Lou Williams there. Patrick Beverly is back in the lineup. They have their their their, their key pieces. Um, I, I thought it would end in five, but when they when the Nuggets were playing the way they were playing in, in Game Three, I, I thought maybe this could extend the series a little bit. But 
it might be over now. The, the weird thing about this Clippers team is they kind of just take their foot off the gas. They, they almost act like a team that won the championship last season. Um, oh, my goodness. And they're kind of coasting. You don't agree with me on that? No, I agree. I absolutely agree. And that's okay. what's so frustrating about them. But the other thing, they can kind of just get away with it because they have Kawhi, though, most of the time. Although I know, you know, Paul George was great in game three. Um, and that, that's a huge development for him because we talked about that too. After the way that that Mavs series started, he looked terrible. So if he can, they need him to be, you know, the Robin to Kawhi's Batman to have a chance to win the, the championship this season. And he's come along nicely um, more recently. But I, I do kind of just wonder if that's an extension of Kawhi, who's just a silent assassin and can kind of just coast through until they really need him. And then he has a way of just carrying them to the finish line. We saw it last season yeah. over and over again with the Raptors. And I feel like we've seen it enough already with the Clippers. Everything that we've learned through the regular season has come true in the playoffs. Like the Clippers did not care at all in the regular season until a game popped up where it mattered, and then they went out and smacked the team. They've been doing that in the postseason. They don't care at all until, oh, well, yo, we're down 2-1. All right, let's go out and close this series out with three straight dominant victories. Same thing happened you know, in game three against the Nuggets. They were getting smacked around, and all of a sudden, switch flip, they, they beat them and take care of that win. The Lakers... You know, up and down. Uh, if they don't, if they're not hitting threes, they're they're a completely different team. You give them a, a handful of threes, they're able to get through. When LeBron James wants to play and, and be aggressive, going to the basket and, and and finding others, they're such a tough team to beat. Uh, you look at the Raptors; they bounce back so many times. They were down 0-2. It looked like they were going to get swept, and all of a sudden they make a series of it, and you know they're back into it. The list goes on and on. The Bucks. Uh, didn't need to make an adjustment all season long. Guess what? In the playoffs, they don't make any adjustments. They continue doing what they are doing in the regular season. It hasn't worked out for them. And and in the Heat, they have been tough all year long. They've been uh, surprising everybody that has said, this is a young team. We're going to have to wait a couple years uh, to see what they really have here. And the Heat all year long have been like, no, we are a good team now. And we want to compete now. And that's exactly what they've been doing in the postseason. So, Everybody that's, uh, you know, what we've seen in the regular season, people say that the regular season doesn't matter. What we've seen in the regular season has come true in the postseason as well. You know what's funny about um, about the Heat as well is that they, I mean, they, they got to, they got nearly to the end to uh, trading for Danilo Gallinari at the trade deadline. And I remember mm. when that was happening, so many people were getting excited because they kind of felt like, I mean, me included, you asked me two weeks ago, what do the Heat have to do to, to prove to me that, you know, that they are a, a contender in these playoffs or this season? Um, and I, I didn't really know, but it, it almost felt like they were missing that kind of guy, like a, a knockdown shooter, stretch four, another guy you can kind of give the ball and create something and take some pressure off of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And it's just funny to think that, that them not being able to trade for Danilo Gallinari seemed like the point where I was like, okay, this is not going to be the season for the Heat. Um, and here they are. They're up 3-1 against the Bucs. I think they're the team to beat in the East right now, wouldn't you, um, based on how dominant they've been in this in these playoffs, um, to the point yeah. where you know the finals appearance isn't off the card. So it's, it, it, is, it is pretty crazy how quickly things change. Them not trading for Danilo Gallinari has allowed them to go and get uh, you know Andre Iguodala and also... Jay Crowder, two guys that can defend the wing, and that's what you need to do um, if you want to win a championship, given the stars that we have. You think about who they can potentially go up against uh, the rest of the playoff if they get past the Bucks here. Uh, it's either the Raptors or Celtics, and they got three guys that can guard the three best players on that team. And then if they get to the finals, uh, they have probably the best package that you can bring to the table on the Eastern Conference side of the bracket to try and guard a Kawhi Leonard 
and Paul George as a tandem, and also the other way to try and guard a LeBron James and Anthony Davis as a tandem. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're sitting here, you know, in the middle of, you know, early September, which we didn't expect. Um, but we also didn't expect the Miami Heat to be a team that maybe, maybe might get to the finals and, and, and make some noise. So, um, Weird year, 2020. It's been fun, and I hope you guys are enjoying the postseason as much as we are. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. Uh, we will be back here next Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, live on NBA Global across the world. If you've missed any part of the live show, you can catch it in the podcast feed over at NBA Sound System. Please rate, review, and tell your friends about it. Again, thanks for listening. This has been NBA Sound System Live. Oh,